Hey everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Well, Phil Rando, welcome to the Audio Realm Studios here in the energy podcasting hub of the world, Richmond, Texas. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Dude, thank you for coming in. So we got to get into this right now. What the fuck do you care about bidets for, man? What's your bidet issue? I don't get this. Let me ask you the first question. Have you used one? It's been a long time. I will say that. So you had that busted technology that had maybe like two knobs on it. And yeah. no temperature control. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was cold. Yeah. See, I didn't care about bidets. I never gave a damn about bidets until I went to Hawaii and the hotel room had temperature controlled water, heated seat, adjustable nozzle position so you're not shifting around to hit the right spot, and an air dryer. Now, an air dryer, okay. An air dryer. You're getting a tank perm with it, but you are golden. <laughs> you don't have to use all that toilet paper. Now, you remember the last few crises we've had was the first thing that disappeared. <laughs> Which I still don't understand. Everybody just, nobody knows why they did it. It made no sense. There was no threat to the toilet paper supply, but anything happens, it goes out of the stores. So, you got the bidet. This is no longer a problem. All right. Okay. I'll buy that. I'm not sure the the fascination. Now, the air dryer, though, fascinates me. <laughs> yes. That kind of sounds, that sounds cool. Oh, yeah. It's it's a nice sensation. I mean, you, you kind of a little perturbed at first. You got a hair dryer basically blowing up into your business. But, you know, you're using two squares of toilet paper after that. The thing basically pays for itself after a few months. And now, is it still the whole thing? You got to do the squat action? I mean, you got to have your quads going. Oh, no, no. This is actually integrated into your toilet. This replaces your toilet seat. There is no separate unit. There is nothing. No way. You just do a little bit of rudimentary plumbing. Take off those screws on I'm your so toilet di- seat. Audience, I'm so disturbing with what he's doing with his fingers right now. But keep, <laughs> keep, keep going. Keep going. The install process, you're out 20 minutes of your life. No way. No way. All right. How much does one of these things cost? Uh, it depends. Uh, the ones you don't want are going to be, you know, $100 to $200. The one you really want is going to it's going to cost you. It's going to hit you in the head at first. It's going to be 350 to $400, but that's with all the features, the upsell that I sold you on there. But you have to invest in those features. You have to. So like how long does it take? You're kind of done. You're ready to to be done. The, the whole kind of wash and dry. Right. The, the one problem with the hand dryer in the bathroom, your hands never get dry. I oh, mean, yeah. you sit there for hours. Absolutely. Right. All right, let me just go through that. What'll make it easiest, I'll just go through my process. Okay, I've done my business. Right. I'm reaching over to my buttons. I hit my uh, rear button because there's also a front nozzle for the ladies, you know? The, there's gender equality gotcha. with the bidets. Okay. Yeah. okay. So I'm hitting my rear button. Wait Are there two different seconds. nozzles? Uh, for front and back, or does it one nozzle points front and then points back? It depends on the unit. Ah, okay. Some of them will just adjust where that thing ends up because it's coming out. It's coming out of a little unit in the back and just <laughs> up under your business like uh, something out of Star Wars. <laughs> oh, so it's automated. Oh, yeah. It oh, well, cleans that makes itself. Sense. Well, that, yeah. that, that makes sense. You kind of have to have... Yeah. You have to have line of sight to get the business down the toilet. I get it. All Absolutely. Right. So I'm giving myself a little bit, you know, just uh, 10 seconds or so. Right. Clean everything up. Then I'm switching to dry mode. I'm drying off for about, you know, 30 seconds. If All I'm, right. If I'm in a rush, you know, I'll cut it short. I'll grab a, like, square to a toilet paper. Okay. I'm off to the races. I'm Everything's sold. fine. I'm, I'm sold. fresh. I'm clean. Everything's golden now. I've feel better. I'm invigorated. I want to go conquer the whole planet after I use them a day. I'm not sure after I've gone to the bathroom that I want to be golden. But, <laughs> but other than that, you you sold it. You sold me on it, dude. Okay. Okay. I thought I thought this was going to be more controversial. Well, I'm kind of I'm buying it. Well, a lot of people are just very resistant to shooting that jet of water up into 
their rectum. Oh, not not me, man. I'm I'm totally down with the jacuzzi. I go find the I go find the jet. You go yeah. find the jet. Yeah, I'm, I'm hit jet the front guy. for a few minutes and then hit the back. Yeah, exactly. You gotta Pret- get both pre- sides. Pre- pretend like I'm getting my shoulders, you know, because I need a massage. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, some people may be afraid. What if I really like that going up there? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. The uh... all right. So. We've covered the bidet. Check. I'll give you that. All right. I'm down with that. You've been going on a rant about statues recently. Absolutely. What's, what's your statue rant? Because um, uh, I've got a whole take on that, too, so I'll let you go first. Well, I'll just give you a really good example. In my home county, very small town, uh, we had a Confederate memorial in front of the courthouse. Okay. Everybody in Raleigh and Durham in the big city starts tearing down their statues. And the next day, all these people, all these guys from my hometown show up to defend it. And I'm driving by, and a black man's one of the people defending it. Okay. Because to us, those statues aren't an insult to anybody. They're a reminder of what happened. I mean, the, the Civil War, it was really just one of the most complex things in our history that's been reduced to basically a Marvel movie. I mean, there's all these evil bad people that were fighting these pure good people and it just wasn't that simple i mean um you had all these uh, confederate conscripts basically that never owned a slave that were poor as dirt right didn't want to do anything but farm and some of my ancestors were those people and they were told if they didn't go to war basically their lives were going to be ruined right so we remember those people and after the war we had reconciliation and we came together. I mean, there was a lot of punishment, a lot of hostility, and but it's important that we look at that as a nuanced, complicated issue instead of just boiling it down to something simple because there's so much that can be learned from it that could apply to everything today with all the hostility we've got going on. Oh, wow. You know, I thought we were actually going to fight about this. Um, and it sounds like we're, we're almost on the same page because... Back in World War II, um, the president went to Frank Capra, the movie maker, and said, okay, we need propaganda to go fight the Nazis. You know, we need to rally the, uh, the United States citizenry against the Nazis. I need pro-American stuff to run. And Capra went back and was sitting there thinking about it, toyed with some scripts, And one of the things he did is he actually sat there and looked at all the films that the Germans were making to rally support on their side, so the Nazi propaganda. And what he was struck by was, this is why we should be motivated. And so he actually showed the Nazi propaganda with a little bit of context around it in terms of, hey, guys, this is why we have to go fight, and gave context to it. And it was really powerful stuff. And I mean, that's what ran in movie theaters before each movie and all. And he's lauded uh, for this amazing uh, set of filmmaking he did to to rally support for World War II. And I've always kind of felt the same thing about statues in that because because a lot of the Confederate statues were put in place in the 20s and the 30s to intimidate blacks. No question. I mean, it was it was horrific stuff done to intimidate. You I read actually, some of those speeches that were given at them, and it's just like, ee, yeah. ee, that dude, no. So I actually think this, the statue being there with plaques talking about that and putting it, you know, hey, this was used in the 30s to intimidate blacks and maybe even quote from some of the horrific speeches this is what it was there for. I think that's way more powerful and way more effective than getting rid of it. Absolutely. But I totally understand that it's offensive and people want to get rid of it. You know, I, 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 I'm sympathetic to that. It just seems like the people that are most offended by it always seem to be very white and very liberal instead of the, any, anyone else. It's kind of like the Redskins controversy. You, get, you do polls about who's offended by the team name Redskins and something like 97% of Native Americans weren't offended by it. Right. But 90% of 
very white liberals were very offended by it. And including this white uh, libertarian, because I'm a Cowboys fan, so I hated Redskins too. Every chance I had to vote on one of the online polls, do we need to get rid of the name Redskins? Hell yeah! Hate those guys. Hated George Allen, hated Billy Kilmer. <laughs> Just tick on down the list of all of them. And one of the, the, the kicker on the statue debate was most of the people that I know that were the hardcore supporters of the statue, you know, the daughters of the American Confederate, the American Revolution, the sons of uh, the Confederacy. I know a lot of people in those groups. They're all lifelong Democrats, all of them. Yeah. Because that's what the war was. A lot of the southern states that fought in the Confederacy were Democrats, right? No, that's exactly right. And, you know, what I found, too, is... To some degree, a lot of the support of that is ignorance, not actually racism. It is, you know, you start talking to somebody and it's like, well, this is our statue and our country and blah, 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 blah. And you start going, but hey, what about this? What about that? And after a conversation, you kind of get the, okay, I can understand why it's offensive. And BRV made this point when uh, he came on the podcast and he was going up against quick draw is if you listen to, you know, folks on that side and you listen to the Black Lives Matter folks and all, if you took the names off, we really can't tell a lot of difference in the rhetoric because it's both coming from uh, the same place. It's coming from this, this sense of detachment, this sense of falling behind, this sense of, of you know, America's, you know, because we really have had this, the, the, you know, the manufacturing base, get the job at, uh, at your dad's factory, do a little bit better than your dad did, the comfort and moving through, that's gone, you know? And, and there really is this economic disadvantage, whatever, that's passed people by. So both groups sound very, very similar to each other. Oh, absolutely. And that's a big thing. That's a big issue for me is what you're talking about with the manufacturing, get a job. We've instilled a set of priorities to where we just tell every kid in high school, go to college, the best college you can get into, and follow your passion, and then get a job. There's so much money to be made by young people going into trades, going into HVAC, going into construction, all these things. But we're giving out with FAFSA, the Federal Student Loan Program, just a giant mountain of cash to anybody with a pulse who can keep a 2.0 GPA to study anything from underwater basket weaving to pansexual vegan studies. And we're setting people up for failure. We're setting young people up for failure when we could be investing and pushing people from an early age into really great careers in the trades. But for some reason, we've attached this negative stigma to not going to college and not getting those credentials. And it's just, I think it's just really damaging to our economy, just to our population. I think it's something that we could fix easily and and what's interesting about it too is we've we've pushed them down the college path and we've lowered the standards of college dramatically because it's you know you know it's interesting when you sit around and you talk about it it's it's not quote unquote i have a college degree it's that the college degree used to mean i had achieved certain milestones in my life and so ultimately that's why you got the good job was you achieved the milestones not because of the sheet of paper and we've dummied down the college degree, and you're right, we've left this vast array of jobs almost underserved. And I have to, I'll fess up to this, I'll mea culpa on this one. I'm not a Trump fan. I, you know, I'm just not a big fan. I, I, I don't act like that. I think you sit down with people you don't agree with, you have a beer, you talk about it, and you agree to disagree, and then you go talk about sports or, you know, whatever. So I've always been been that. So I just hate his combative nature and the like. But I was wrong about this. I was a big free trade guy growing up. I mean, if they can do it 10 cents cheaper in Bangladesh, okay, great. Let's ship the job over. And when I was sitting around last March hoping to find an N95 mask, <laughs> going, what the, <laughs> going, what the fuck? They're all coming out of China. I was like, oh, shit. So, yeah, no. So there, there, there has definitely been a lot of thought on my part over the last year. of Okay, how do we do this? Because, you know, there's free trade, and I'm starting to buy that whole argument. It's got to be fair trade. Yeah, what's the social cost of outsourcing all of our manufacturing 
to another country where labor is just cheap and exploited and there's so much human tragedy that revolves around that outsourcing, especially in China. Yeah, and you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and I forget who it was, but we were talking about, I actually don't, I think it's horrible, the human rights abuses in China, but if you think about it from China's point of view, I mean, we treat cheap debt like no big deal in America. We give everybody credit cards, cheap debt, people default, whatever. We just kind of roll on because we've got so much money. That's what they do with people. I mean, they have so many people. We got a billion, you know, billion and change of people running around. Let's just throw, you know, let's build the building cheaper because, you know, 25 people die during it. But who cares? We got a billion two of it. So they that's almost their view of cheap debt is they've just got cheap humanity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. They've just got uh, the party above anything else. That's it over there. Yeah. Exactly. Power above anything else. The, uh, and, uh, and, yeah, and we just can't let antibiotics and medicines and all that be no way. Oh, coronavirus was a big lesson in all that. Huge, huge. So was it, uh, was it, so I'm going to go ahead and say, clearly it, it was a, a release from a lab. Well, I mean, COVID. I mean, they're just, it's hard to argue against it at this point. I mean, it happened. I mean, whose rant was it? Uh, John Stewart's right. rant was the best one about it. I mean, how can you ignore that? How can you instinctively jump to the position of no, it wasn't? Right. I can understand arguing Maybe it wasn't, but to jump to the conclusion that it definitely wasn't just seems like propaganda instead of logic. Yeah, I can even understand that. Well, before we make that accusation, let's let's prove it. Okay, I, I kind of get that. But yeah, John Stewart, it says it on the name on the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's like right there. There's video of them messing around with the bats flying around in their hair and biting people. What what are we supposed to believe here? The you know, and I listened to a guy the other day on uh, on uh, a the radio who was talking about it supposedly there are two institutes in wuhan there's the old um research facility and then a new one that the french built in 2014 and supposedly the french that built it have been running around the world saying hey guys it's not safe you know the standards they had it build you know us build it to something's going to leak out of there so supposedly the French have been running around warning people saying this. So yeah, it it had to have been a, it had to have been a leak. Well, if you could come up with a way to absolutely cripple your biggest geopolitical foe. I mean, how can you sit there in China and look what America did to itself after coronavirus, just absolutely savaging its own economy and spending just throwing trillions of dollars in into totally unrelated programs to coronavirus? I mean, why wouldn't they want to do that again? They could yeah. do it two or three times and we would just be toast. The whole thing would collapse. Yeah, and, th and that was the point this guy was making. He goes, man, we're not going to have a nuclear war. Nuclear wars, you know, bad for both sides and all. Because uh, supposedly the, uh, the Chinese were already testing a coronavirus in late February, early March of last year. And it wasn't the, the RNA vaccines. It was an old school vaccine which in effect, you know, you're basically just killing, you know, a muted form of the virus. That takes a while to prepare. You know, it's not like you can just, you, know, you can't just, just do that over the weekend. Just knock together a virus and just send yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, you can't just do so. So, yeah, they, they definitely knew. Now, whether it was on purpose or not, I don't know. But this guy said it. it he said we shouldn't be surprised if China did this as a test. Well, what is what does the world do? You look at what they do as a government over there and everything they do shows that they have an extremely low regard for human life. So why would they care about doing that? Yeah. Yeah. No, if, it's if they're taking people and putting them in camps and sterilizing them and brainwashing their children, why would they have a problem with putting a couple test tubes together, making a bad virus to totally destroy one of their geopolitical foes? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, on one hand, you go, if they ever got discovered doing that, that'd be really bad. And I'm not sure they want to go. I'm, I'm not sure they want World War Three, mano a mano, you know, 
Rocky Balboa style with us straight head on. I mean, they definitely are going to kind of do it from the side of, of, of some way, shape or fashion, but, but yeah. So I, you know, I, I have a tendency to think it, it probably was just a mistake. I mean, it, it leaked out. Somebody got sick in there brought it out. What, you know, whatever the case may be, but yeah, just the, and, and people always go, well, what does it matter? You know, if it was naturally occurring in the, in the food markets or whatever they call the, uh, the wet markets. The wet markets, yeah. <laughs> it just sounds just disturbing. eating anything. Yeah. Let me go down and pop over to the wet markets and get like uh, bat soup and uh, monkey brains, all these things. I, yeah, that's scary stuff. <laughs> it just sounds creepy, wet market. But no, so I mean, it, you know, it, 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 people say, why does it matter? Well, it matters because if they knew it leaked out, they could have given us a lot of information and saved a lot of lives. I mean, I'd like to think the United States, if we slipped like that, would at least have the decency to share with the scientists of the world, hey, here's the DNA code we were working on. You know, please, let's go figure out a solution to it. But yeah. The thing that confuses me is we give so much more money to all the global organizations, the UN, the WHO and everything, but they all seem so willing to parrot whatever China asks them to. And that just boggles my mind. Why do they have so much loyalty to whatever the Chinese government wants to put out over what is you know, just rational, what's unbiased, just pure information? It makes no sense to me. That's one thing I can't wrap my head around. Because I get the NBA, right? I mean, oh, it's, yeah. it's a billion some odd sneaker sales. It's money. Exactly. I go, okay, I get it. You know, even even Greg Popovich is not going to you know smart off about the Chinese. You know, so I get that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, what 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 do the Chinese have over all these world organizations? Something I just can't wrap my head around. I have no idea. Because I mean, we fund them all, right? What oh, are we? We're, well, 35% of the, or 50% of the UN budget, whatever we are, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. we fund it. I can't remember the exact numbers, but we, we, we put in, I think it was somewhere around three times more than China does to all these organizations. Yeah. So they should kind of give us the benefit of the doubt, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They know who uh, butters their bread there, but again, you look at everything the WHO has put out and it's all been exactly what the Chinese government wanted. Yeah. I don't understand that either, but uh, way over my head. Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm, you know, to the extent a protectionist bill comes up with, you know, you can't buy antibiotics unless they're made in the United States, or you know, something to that effect. Where five years ago I would have been, oh my God, you know, the first step towards communism. I'd probably vote for it these days. We we um, reading through a lot of those coronavirus relief bills. Um, there have been a lot of funds devoted to manufactured in America programs. Um, I just don't have a lot of faith that the money's going to be used effectively because right. that's just not whatever happens. Right. That's what government does. Yeah. They screw it all up. Oh, yeah. So, just yeah. billions and billions of dollars devoted to d establishing centers in cooperation with universities, which is probably why I don't have that much faith in it, <laughs> to have all these U.S. If manufacturing government's centers. not bad enough, let's throw a university <laughs> at it. Yeah. Why do you can't, why are campus politics so heated? Because they matter so little. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So now where do you come out on this whole Twitter debate we've been having, call it the last three or four weeks about, you know, uh -oh. <laughs> All right. I see a rant coming. This will be good in terms of, I mean, like, should I have had Michael Patrick Smith on the podcast? Should I have let Ashley Watt come on the podcast? What are your thoughts there? Absolutely. You should have as many voices as possible on these podcasts. We need to hear as many perspective as possible. Uh, a lot of people disagree with Michael Smith just because if you read his op-ed, you know, he's got a lot of legitimate grievances with uh, some of the practices of his employers in the oil and gas industry. I mean, sure, a lot of them don't provide winter clothing immediately. Sure, some of them engage in, you know, more shadier practices. But you get to the last three quarters of his op-ed and it looks like a press release for the DNC. It's just all just bullet points of something I'd find on the, white, the current White House admins website about renewables, 
and all these other things. It looks like he's just trying to move the progressive football. And that's great. We can have a debate about that and we can talk about that. But as far as, you know, having them on the podcast, have as many people as you can. Get as many viewpoints as you can. Bring some of the BLM activists on if you can get them on. I want to hear from them all. It's important that we have the debates and talk about it. So, because what initially drove me to Magic Mike was I read the book. And I actually did the audio version of it. And it's him narrating it. And it's his folk song. And the whole thing is about his screwed up childhood, his abusive father, and actually finding redemption by becoming a good hand in the oil field. And so that's the part of the story I like because, I mean, you, you know, I've kind of gone through my, my divorce, my therapy and all that and sort of had to, you know, had to, you know, had to hug it out with Brene Brown and, and do all that. So I'm kind of fascinated by all that. So, yeah, I totally didn't expect the, uh, the, the reaction to, to Mike. I thought everybody else would read the book and go, oh, that's pretty cool, too. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, and I would love to. I'm sure I'd enjoy hanging out with the guy. Oh, yeah. I have a ton of progressive friends of, God, I've had plenty of communist friends. It's important to just hear from each other, talk to each other. But you can understand people being angry about him trying to move a progressive football, especially people in Colorado and Alberta, because they have just been having the football crammed down their throats for so long in those places. I mean, Colorado with that setback, um, Alberta just, God, I feel really sorry for the guys in Alberta because they've just been crushed by the environmental agenda up there. And you can debate with Mike. That's great. That's what we ought to be doing. Um, We should all be putting our positions out there in the forum, talking about them. And a lot of people just saw what he was doing as more political than reforming the oil industry. That's where it seemed like the debate really stirred up. Yeah, and I think what happened in fairness to my friends in Denver and my my friends up in Alberta is they were releasing all the, just like you said, all the shit they'd been going through kind of on this guy um, because they saw that the Democrats called him, you know, so immediately he was kind of this Democrat. But if you read his stuff, you're right. It gets a little Democrat talking point. But in fairness to Mike, he 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 gets pretty Marxist when it comes to defending the working man, you know, yeah. and he says that, you know, he's like, you know, but, you know, also in his New York Times editorial, he was like, well, it's the second greatest thing that's ever happened to man behind fire. You know, we should not ban fracking. And the other thing I think people took, too, is is like particularly folks from Williston were like, he's trashing Williston. No, he's not. He's saying he's saying what happened in Williston's a tragedy. He actually liked the uh, the uh, the people in Williston. And, you know, he was talking about the extraction culture. You come in, you boomtown it. And then when commodity prices go down and it stops, everybody goes away. Exactly. Yeah, it's that that's a tough one. And. He's absolutely right that we could be doing more to help those communities as we're booming in them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and I think the other thing that, that kind of happens with particularly the folks with Denver is when we talk about what they're going through. I mean, I'm just old. Let's <laughs> cut to the chase. I'm 52. And most of the folks uh, that were on Twitter kind of arguing about it are in their 30s. And. I will say this, I'm a Texan, so I was not up in Colorado, but just me sitting here kind of being a political junkie, I saw the late 90s, early 2000s in Colorado, I saw a red state shoot itself in the foot and open the door to becoming a purple state and ultimately a blue state, you know? And uh, and I think some of that is missed on the folks that are in the 30s because when they started the fight for the industry, they were already in purple going to blue. You know, and so I think there's there's a disconnect there, you know, and, and Bomber and I've talked about it offline because Bomber and I are friends. And because, uh, I mean, in the late 90s, in the early 2000s, Colorado, the Republicans decided that gay marriage was their thing and a constitutional amendment against it. There was legislation introduced. And what you do in Colorado 
if you just want to bury legislation, there's a committee called, I think it's called State Affairs. You just send it to State Affairs to study, and then you never hear about it again. Nice. So it's just a and, shelf that never comes off of. Yeah, and anytime somebody asks you, you say, well, the State Affairs Committee's looking at it. You know, it just <laughs> never, it never happened. And unfortunately, you know, this this bill comes in, and, and then they put it up for a vote, and it was a mess. And so, and, you know, if that's your issue, I'm all for fighting for the issues you care about. You know, so I'm not opining one way or another whether we sh- should have gay marriage or not have gay marriage. But the thing that happened is it divided the Republicans. It certainly pissed off all the Democrats and most independents. And even more importantly, no, you know, in the late late 90s, opposing gay marriage was popular, like 55, 60 percent to 40 but if you looked at people under 35, it was like 85, 15. Everybody was like, who cares who marries who? You know, and so you kind of won a battle. But, you know, 10 years later, the the young people are now voting in bigger blocks. The older people that really were for you are now dead. You know, and so and so that that I think was part of it. And there's no doubt they got hit by this big influx of Californians. Oh, absolutely. And that's happening to us now, Oh, it's too. happening. Oh, just going through Bozeman, Mon- Montana, and seeing how much that place changed just in the three or four years I lived out there was wild. Wild. Yeah, I mean, Bozeman, Bozeman kind of has the, uh, I mean, one of the fastest growing cities, becoming a tech center, all that. And you're right, Californians are flooding in. Man. Mm. We're just hosed. Maybe, maybe, maybe we, can, maybe us libertarians can gather together and go to California now that they're all gone. <laughs> we can, we can take over. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah. man, maybe not. California, oof, man, that's just a tough cookie there. And you know what's wild? I mean, California was, you know, the the birthplace, you know, the 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 home front of Richard Nixon. Ronald Reagan. Reagan was the governor of California. It, it just blows my mind to think that there was a time when Ronald Reagan was the governor of that state. And they froze property taxes in a revolt. I mean, it was like... <laughs> and you look at it now, and then there's just bum shit and needles all over some of the streets, and everybody's like, hey, you know what? Let's just keep going down this path. I saw something the other day. I think it might have been about Austin, but we can say it's about San Francisco because the same thing. <laughs> Somebody was like, "I become a little less liberal every time I have to clean human feces away <laughs> from my front steps." <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, what are we gonna do? What else you want to talk on? Uh, talk about politics-wise? I don't know. You tell me. What do you interest? This is your show. You, you're the agenda setter. I'll um, talk about anything you want to, buddy. The uh, no, this is uh, this has been fun. I didn't think we were going to be agreeing. I thought we were going to be fighting. That's why I was like, that's why I had Chase and Andy on alert about. Okay, if he starts beating me up, <laughs> come, come save me. <laughs> I didn't know we'd be uh, we'd be agreeing so much. So here's actually something I want to talk about, and I, and I brought it up when I had Montrose Lane and Mark Mills on the podcast. I talked a little bit. Uh, about it with um, David Hayes on the last one. And I want to do something about this. I'm not sure what to do about it, but let's talk advocacy. How, how do we do a better job of selling the energy business? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, say what you want about Magic Mike. Magic Mike's right. Second greatest invention of all time. Okay, maybe vaccines and and uh, and antibiotics well, are more been, important. Top five, been- though. They'd be impossible without fossil fuels. Exactly. Yeah. It's so, got to be the greatest. It is the greatest. So you're, you're dictator tomorrow. What do we do to get our story out and do better about this? It's really tough because the status quo for the oil and gas industry PR strategy is we're sorry for being who we are. And we're going to do right by as many people or we're, we're going to help as many people as we can as we silently retreat into oblivion. Keep going. And um, more wine. I'll pour you some more yeah. wine. All right, keep going. I'll but like that's the going. status quo. We're sorry for who we are, and we're going to do whatever you need from us while we retreat quietly into the night. And that's just a terrible strategy. It's just bad from the get-go because it's just admitting that you're you're starting from a point of saying we are evil and we are going to make everything good as we disappear. It's there's a lot 
a lot of money and power behind maintaining that status quo. So the question of how do we tell people that we are a societal good, we are completely beneficial for humanity, we are the ticket for two billion people living in energy poverty to a better life, to a better standard of living. And I've heard, I've heard so many just very high power oil and gas people say that in private, but you just don't see that message a lot in public. Because as soon as you say that, there's just an outcry, there's just an outrage. No, you are bad and you need to go away. So two things I'll throw at you just to get your reaction along those lines. And, and I, the one thing I will say is I think we got to this point, though, kind of honestly on that front, because if you think about it, we created a product that people just happened to buy. We didn't market, right? We, we were not Nike shoes having to outmarket Adidas or whatever, right? A barrel's a barrel. You know, we put it out there. So we never had any marketing savvy. But two things that I hadn't appreciated that I've heard, and I'll throw them at you to get your take on. Number one, Ryan um, of Montrose Lane, when we were talking, he said one thing I'd never thought of is the argument against fossil fuels and in general, the way liberals argue things, if we're going to make them kind of synonymous, is it's always about the collective. We are better off. We, you are killing the planet, you know. And generally speaking, conservatives, and thus the oil and gas business, is always about the individual. And collective arguments just sell better, right? <laughs> You know, I mean, when uh, when they raised all that money for uh, for famine relief, it wasn't I am the world. It's we are the world. We are the world. You know, and so, oh, yeah. so collective arguments. And so I found that really interesting because uh, I'd never thought of that before. And I don't know that I fully even appreciate ramifications of that yet because I really want to spend some time on that. The second thing is I was talking to my kiddo and you know, kiddo would ban oil and gas tomorrow. And I always go, well, don't buy their products. Yes. Guess what? Yes. <laughs> they oh, go out of business. Phone, chuck it out the window. Chuck it out the window. That but light switch, don't you touch that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, go ahead and give me the car key back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But one of the things Charlie talked about that I don't think I appreciated is it's not the you're destroying the planet, global warming, Greta's right, all that. It was you've been bad actors. I mean, Valdez... You hid research on on climate change and the like. That's a big part of it for my generation, too. And quite frankly, I hate to say this because this is going to cause Denver and Alberta just to flare up. But they're right. They're right. We have been bad actors and we've been pretty arrogant about it. Well, I think you're exactly right about uh, collective arguments being better than individual ones. But you got to look at what drives the collective arguments. You've got people out there saying... I mean, in entertainment industry and in politics and in all the institutions, universities, that the world is doomed in a decade if we don't do all these things we want them to do. So these people are faced with, huh, it's nice to be able to go in and flip the light switch and my lights come on. It's nice to be able to go wherever I want. It's nice to be able to have all this reliable e electricity and have a nice standard of living. But the world is going to end if we don't do what that guy over there is telling me. I think the most effective thing that guy did was he convinced the person flicking their light switch that solar and wind would do it. It's just the evil oil companies that won't let that happen. Exactly. Yeah. Cause, exactly. Yeah. I have a lot of problems with the climate change movement. There's a, if you look into any climate study, any climate report that comes out of government, that comes out of the IPCC, if you go straight into their methodology, it's trash. It is absolute trash. I was looking through a few years ago, one of the IPCC reports, and their methodology was basically, and I'm paraphrasing this, but this is honestly what it said, is that well, basically what we did is we just imagined the worst case scenarios and um, we included them just to kind of make people a little bit scared about what could happen. And I, I had to read it about five times before I believed what I was seeing. But it's just a lot of fear porn involved in the climate change movement and a lot of junk science. And I don't know how we fight 
junk science with facts because you cannot fight people that aren't interested in facts with facts. You're totally on a just a playing field that you have no ammunition, you have no skills on. Mark Mills actually sat right where you're sitting right now saying, the problem is we try to fight it with facts. <laughs> <You know>? Exactly. Because <laughs> have you read the book Unsettled yet? No. Coonan's book? So Coonan was the number two guy in, under Obama in one of the departments. I forget which one. And I'm about a quarter of the way through the book or a third of the way through the book. And his whole take is, and the reason it's called Unsettled is, there is so much going on out there. Let's actually go through and figure out what do we know, what do we not know. And to your point right there, and Mark Mills was saying the same thing, is this scientists, climate change scientists, are actually being pretty fair about it. They're saying there is evidence that human activity is leading to CO2 being added to the atmosphere, which is leading to warming. We've got evidence of that. But it's the activists that are running around taking it to the world's going to end because of that. You exactly. Know? Yeah, exactly. And we're in a soundbite culture where people aren't paying attention. People are not going to read through a thousand page scientific report and get that nuance. They're going to listen to that. They're only going to hear that activists on CNN for 30 seconds telling us that Washington, D.C. and Florida are going to be underwater in 10 years. And that, that quotes from the report. Yeah. Well, and yes, in that thousand page report, it did say that but it didn't draw the same conclusion you did. I play a game called follow the links. You open up an article from NBC talking about these catastrophic predictions. Click on the source link, okay? It's another news article. Click on that source link and you just keep following it until eventually you'll get to the real report and you read that and you realize it was all bullshit. As right. soon as you read the real report, it just has nothing to do with where you started. And I don't know how to fight that when the anti-climate change movement just doesn't have a foothold in entertainment, media, news, anything. I mean, we've got Fox News, but Fox News, what good is that doing us? Right, right. Yeah, no, I don't, and, that, and the reason I'm asking a question is because I don't have an answer, but we need to take this shit seriously and get an answer. Because there's no question, I mean, your life expectancy doubles when you stop stop burning wood and shit and start burning hydrocarbons. So that's a good thing. That's a great thing. It's a really good thing. And we ought to be able to sell that story better. Um, we should force people. I think we should just be able to force people to read Alex Epstein's book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. There we go. I think we should just be able to put it as curriculum in schools because it just does such a great job in outlining all the actual tangible benefits of fossil fuels with regards to how many people die from natural disasters. What is it, 97% reduction since fossil fuels? Yeah. No, we can actually change our environment. Yeah. <laughs> That's the nice thing oh. about fossil fuels. We don't have to die from this hurricane now. That's awesome. Cool. All right. All right. Why don't we turn the uh, AC down a little? I'm kind of I'm kind of yeah. warm while we're riding through this hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. Then, so, yeah, so we need to be able to figure out, and whether it's a collective argument of some sort. I think the other thing, too, is, is, and we were talking about him earlier, is I think a lot of the reason younger folks are liberal is, quite frankly, because of Jon Stewart. I really do. I mean, he had a 20-some-odd-year run. I thought he was hysterical. I didn't agree with most of the things he said, but he was funny. He was hip and stuff. And for too long... The right-wing conservatives have been old, stuffy white guys that just don't sell very well to young people. You are hitting the nail on the head with that. That's, that's honestly the reason why Ayn Rand books were effective, because it took these complex issues and put them into a fictional story that was enjoyable, that was engaging, that you couldn't stop turning pages on, and that you really liked to be a part of and just consume. Yeah. And Jon Stewart was no different. Yeah. And uh, and so I think because, you know, if you think about it, we have a golden opportunity right now that the left and liberalism is a bunch of old white people. It's Pelosi. It's Biden. <laughs> I mean, it's, they're so old and they're so white. Yeah. God, they're the whitest white people on the planet. I mean, we could totally mock them. I oh, mean, yeah. We really could. Pelosi, she, you can. 
she mocks herself. You, you remember sitting in front of uh, the $24,000 refrigerators with the <laughs> right. ice cream, just, oh, I hope you're enjoying lockdowns as much as I am. What? What? That's your movement? <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. So it's got to be funny. It's got to be hip. Um, and, and I think the other thing we as the energy business have to do is we basically have to say, hey, energy is our issue and forgo the other ones. Because I think too long we kind of, as the energy business, we backed our political cla- uh, causes that were generally right wing in nature. And they just got narrower and narrower over time, you know. Well, I see where you're coming from on that, but what d- did the right wing all that time that we were hitched to their wagon, did they ever effectively try to even wade in to just dip their toe into the culture war? Ah. They never did, did they? Right. Yeah. And now when you look at uh, look at the um, You're right, we gave the, colleges away. Yeah, look, yeah, there you go. Take them. Look at how much anger is going on across the country with parents that are actually for the first time looking into the curriculum that their stu- their kids are studying in school. Look how pissed off they are. Right. Honestly, at this point, I think the culture war is a winner. Yeah. Because it's finally out there for everybody to see. It's They've kicked it in the overdrive. Trump seemed to be a catalyst for that, for kicking that culture war into overdrive on their side. And people are finally actually cracking open the materials and taking a look at it. Now, that's a good point because, I mean, you know, because I'm older than you are. I remember the silent majority. Yeah, it was like, well, we didn't care. You're exactly. totally right. Yeah. We totally see. I mean, because if you look back at the, the 40s and you look at the movies made, I mean, Casablanca, no more patriotic movie on the planet. You know, it's a wonderful <laughs> life. I mean, yes. never, you know, and uh, you're right. We totally seeded that. Well, you look at entertainment now, and it's just garbage. It's a checklist of basically propaganda points in any movie. Do we have enough people of this? Do we have enough people of this? Did we touch on this subject? I remember seeing a news article about the new Gossip Girl would have um, a cast that recognized their privilege. I mean, it's just, it's gone into overdrive, and people are finally, the term I like to use is rejecting the programming yeah. It was a lot more subtle before four years ago. You know, and, and what's weird about it, so um, I'll be somewhat vague about this because I don't want to dime my friend out, but I have a friend that was pretty prominent in the, the entertainment business. And, you know, there used to be discussions on whether my friend was conservative or liberal and all that. My friend's like, man... I just want to sell albums. <laughs> it was 50 Cent, wasn't it? <laughs> we, you know, he lives in Houston now. I'm so happy about that. Yeah, we Good got, for him. And, and I, got to, uh, I got to meet him the other day. He was selling his liquor down at Spec. So I went, I don't know if you saw it, but I posted a picture of me and him on. Uh, but uh, yeah, we need to get him to hang out with us. Because that was one of the videos I wanted to do. Pro Energy is uh, to his song, To Club. And we just go into the club and things start disappearing that are made out of petroleum. I wish you could see how wide my eye, your audience could see how wide my eyes are right now at the prospect of that. My goodness. So we go get another bottle of wine. We go try to find where Fitty sent exactly. Where are you at, Fitty? We're going to do this. <laughs> we'll call We'll call. get a cameraman. Can we film this? You're a Houston guy now. Pro energy, dude. Oh, you gotta, man. That would be awesome. God. If you ever talk to him again, tell him that Gunrunner was the best song he ever made. Oh, best. there we go. He actually knew about his guns. I was very <laughs> impressed by that. Oh. <laughs> the, the funniest part about that picture that we took with 50 Cents, and I only cropped me and, and 50 to, to tweet out. I took my daughter out. My daughter had to sit out in front of Specs, out in the heat with me for about an hour and a half to do this. And she's like, Dad, really? I go, come on, this is going to be great. Five hours would have been worth it. Oh, yeah. Five hour I wait. I can tell her. She's just like, oh, God. He was shot nine times. <laughs> <laughs> so she's always mocking me. Do we really have to go up to that celebrity and get a picture? She mocks me about that. And then the other thing she mocks me about is, Daddy, do we really have to go take another picture in front of Chili's? <laughs> The Southwest Egg Rolls, my God. I know, they're good. Chili's, uh, Chili's finally follows me on Twitter now. Well, it took them long yeah, enough. God. Exactly, exactly. 
So, all right, what else? G- give me uh, give me something else on Twitter that we can stir the pot on. We'll just go ahead and enrage them. Let's think. <laughs> oh, what's controversial? I haven't been on there for a while because I've been training. I'm actually going to have to go back to work, so I don't know. Dude, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Layoff life is the best. Oh, it is? You know, p- preaching to the choir, Forget- man. You're talking to the poster <laughs> boy, man. I love this. <laughs> Every day I go back and look uh, and go, okay, how can I cut out a little more living expenses to give myself one more day? <laughs> Wait. Oh, da, 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 da. Who's the best James Bond? Ooh. You know, I will say this. I, and this is going to get me eviscerated. But <laughs> go ahead and say it. I'm a Roger Moore guy. Oh, my God. I, of yes, course you are. I am. Of course you are. I am. I get Sean Connery's cool. You know, I get it. But I'm old school. That was kind of my, my vintage of that stuff. The worst Bond is your best Bond. <laughs> That's amazing. God. All right. Who's your Bond guy? Brosnan all the way. Really? All the way. Really? But only because of Goldeneye. The rest of his movies were absolute trash. Goldeneye perfect perfect bond movie he busts through a wall in a tank and then straightens his freaking tie (laughs) and then after they make that just baller ass just epic bond movie they go and make the best video game that's ever been made everybody's going around his odd jobs slapping people in the dick it was amazing (laughs) it was amazing (laughs) oh that's okay i'll give you that i'll give you that now i uh so this is going to get me even more eviscerated, but whatever. Roger Moore actually, in the middle of kind of Bond, made a movie called Folks. And what the what the story is, and it, it has a tie to oil and gas, so this is why I'm bringing it up. Basically, an offshore platform in England, you know, in the, the, uh, the North Sea, uh, is taken hostage, and they're threatening to blow it up unless they get paid ransom. And the prime minister is wondering what to do. And one of the guys is like, well, there's this guy named Folks. He predicted this was going to happen two years ago. He's um, He's been training a team to deal with this exact situation. And he is the most pompous, arrogant person on the planet. And uh, he's just so incredibly disrespectful to women. During the- <laughs> And it, you know, it's just, so you can never make that movie today, is what you're saying. Oh well, it, it gets funny though on 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 why. So anyway, he's pompous, he's arrogant. At one point, you know, they're about to launch the assault to take the the platform back, and uh, he's filling out his last will and testament where he leaves all his money to his cats, and uh, and he comes to somebody and he says, "I need you to sign this for uh, that I'm of sound mind and body." And the lady's like, "Looking," he's like, "Sign." damage but anyway so so what the whole point was is finally this lady goes you really don't like women and he goes i got married when i was 21 years old to a woman who had six sisters and they expected me to support all of them (laughs) and after, after 12 years after 12 years, I couldn't take it anymore. I find cats a far superior breed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's this great. And so anyway, of course, his plan works, you know, as perfect. He saves the, 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 saves the platform and all this. And his phone call, it, you know, when they're done is, please tell the prime minister the plan proceeded as according, you know, according to plan, naturally. And uh, so anyway, they have this ceremony for him at the end of the thing. And uh, they go on and they're like, we understand, you know, medals and honors don't mean anything to you. And he says, of course not. And he goes, he goes, well, we've gotten you this. And they give him three cats. (laughs) You want to hear some crazy shit? Yeah. Lay it on me. My anchor for the past year has been one of my girlfriend's cats. Really? What's the cat's name? Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Her other cat's name is Clark Kent because he has no, like a little tie. No way. Yeah. But that damn little Bruce Wayne, every time I would come in the house, he'd jump up on the counter and give me a hug. Oh, the little bastard would give me a hug. I'd go to sleep. He'd jump on my chest and just sleep on me and rub on me. I swear to God. All the emotions, all the despair, all everything after just getting shit canned and 
having to figure out what to do next. Right. That that damn cat just just pulled me all through it. Well, see, I understand that, you know, because I'm divorced dad and you, you think of ways to bribe your children to come hang out with you. But at the same time, you don't want to spoil them. And so I went and got a cat, you know, so daughters would oh love the cat and all that. I like Stormy. <laughs> Stormy's become my buddy, you know. Kinda, well, yeah. Everybody trashes cats, you know. All they do is shit in a box. And that's it. But mm. better than you know, dogs. You got to take them out. You got to do all that. Yeah, the, the shit in the box. I can go for two or three days. Come back. Oh yeah, just house scoop it right out. Yeah, yeah. Spray some Lysol. You're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> So we're hitting rock bottom. Oh, <laughs> we're yeah. We're talking about the cat. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, cat. <laughs> I need you. I love you. <laughs> so have you ever read about the Kennedy assassination? Man, I haven't read about it, but the amount of pop culture stuff on it, uh, how many shows it's pop into, like Watchmen, that movie. Right. And um, what was that new show on Netflix? Umbrella Academy. I, that is a really pivotal moment in history that I would, I really would have liked to have been alive to experience. I'm not going to lie. You know, you know, the, the whole kind of pondering you have of if you could be anywhere at any time. One of my top fives is Daily Plaza on November 22nd back in, you know, 1963. Yeah, because uh, I'm thoroughly convinced it was cons- conspiracy. Three people were shooting. Who did it? <laughs> that that's a, that's a that's a that's a very long thought. There could be a, there's a lot of stuff that's going. Was clear. Vietnam involved? See, you know what's weird about back then is kind of the intelligence agencies, the anti-Castro folks, and the mob. They were all in bed together, you know, so it's kind of hard to to point at one of them versus the other because they were all using the same people and stuff. So so I did my senior thesis at Rice on this and you went uh, to Rice. I did. Oh, nice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everybody in my family's always gone to Rice. Really? So, yeah. I'm, Legacy Rice. I'm kind of nepotism guy. I didn't get in. I didn't get in because I was smart. <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, we got to take this dude. Gotta love those legacies. Well, yeah. you had to have at least a 2.5 GPA though. So I mean, you accomplished something. Yeah. No, Even I, the legacies have limits. Yeah. Exactly. I uh, the uh, I actually graduated magna cum laude from Rice. Look at you go! I did. Man. Lottie Dottie. Yeah. One one third of my GPA was uh, this one political science professor that really liked me, so that didn't hurt. What? Why did they really like you? Oh, that's uncool, dude. <laughs> so the uh, the political science professor is actually this guy named Doc C. Gilbert Cuthbertson. So his first year at Rice was my mom's senior year at Rice, and my mom comes to uh, Doc and like, "Oh, Doc, this this Charlie, my dad." Charlie wants to get married, but he's voting for Goldwater. Doc, Doc's like, it'll be okay, Sally. You'll be fine. Goldwater's not that bad. That was another pivotal moment right there, the Goldwater movement. Oh, the, no, just going down in flames. Yeah, but just really the, going balls to the wall. I'm just going to go conservative as hell, Yeah, balls to the wall, and go down in flames for it. And change the narrative, though. Really I did. I mean, he defined it. You know? He really did. There was a clear contrast at that point, and uh, yeah. I think it was even more significant than the Perot moment, honestly. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, you have Ronald Reagan because of Barry Goldwater. Exactly. There's no question. No question mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. The uh, Here's an interesting thing. Um, Goldwater was actually born in Arizona, which was not a state when he was born. You're shitting me. Yeah, so he would, potentially there would have been one of the constitutional birther type discussions with Goldwater had he won. Oh, like the Cruz discussion. Like yeah. the Cruz discussion, <laughs> like John McCain being born in Panama. Oh you know? yeah. yeah. I mean, everybody everybody always says the whole birther thing on, on uh, Obama was, I mean, we've had it 15 times in our history. Mm-hmm. Where uh, where folks had been technically born, and it's it's a hodgepodge of what the Constitution says 
and the various laws and the various court cases. I did a whole Twitter feed on uh, thread on it, you know, whatever, five years ago, four years ago about it. On the birther movement. Yeah. Nice. Be- well, because, you know, I mean, the whole reason we have it in the Constitution that you've got to be a natural born citizen is they didn't want Alexander Hamilton to be president. I mean, that's literally the only reason we had it. You know, nobody gave it a second thought of there was something patriotic about it or there was something structural that made this a better person. It's not that guy. Yeah, just not (laughs) Hamilton. How do we fuck with Hamilton? Oh, you have to be a natural, you know. And so then you've had, and I need to go refresh this before I do a podcast about it, but uh, you had a couple of laws that passed that gave some definition to what natural meant. You had a couple of court cases but yeah, I mean, McCain was born in Panama. Now he was on a U.S. Army base, and his dad was a U.S. citizen. Right? Yeah, yeah. And you'd hate to argue that. You know, oh, it's yeah. like dad's a, one of the greatest generals we've had. You know, and so. you think Arnold Schwarzenegger would have been president without any of that? <laughs> you mean with the illegitimate child? I guess that's maybe that's a prerequisite for being a president now. But. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, if um, if Hunter Biden can go along and still be okay, I think Arnold would have been okay. The, honestly. Uh, the uh, there was a Wall Street Journal editorial either yesterday or today that said, "Guess what, media? The Hunter Biden laptop is actually real." <laughs> oh yeah, it's real. Like a lot of people knew that the whole time. That was the weirdest thing. A ton of people knew that it was real the whole time. The story got censored, and then they finally had to be forced into admitting it. And that's just. I can't remember what the Pew poll last time said about faith in uh, news media in the United States was, but there's a reason it's plummeting. There's a definite reason. Yeah, I mean, the and basically the Wall Street Journal editorial said something to the effect of pretending it doesn't exist is why people don't believe in the media anymore. They even said you can take the position of you know, this is not newsworthy, this is not legitimate stuff, or you can say it is Russian propaganda, it's all made up, but you can't just sit there and ignore it. Or you can't censor it. Twitter told the New York Post, suspended the New York Post, and told them they were not allowed to even be a part of the public discussion on their website while they were running that story. Which is crazy. It's nuts. I mean, it's... Yeah, no, that's that's amazing because, and, you know, all the sensational stuff about, you know, doing blow and the prostitutes and all that. Okay, it, I, I will get that. That's not newsworthy. We shouldn't yeah. do it. Let but, he who hasn't uh, sinned cast the first stone, <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, my gosh, the, there are accusations on there that the vice president of the United States was taking money from foreign governments via his kid. I mean, you just cannot get around how problematic it is. And now the story du jour is uh, the art sales. Yeah, They've set up that system where they've got anonymous purchasers buying Hunter Biden originals for $500,000 a piece. And how can you not look at that and think, yeah, that's a problem? Yeah. And, you know, if you if you bought a five hundred thousand dollar art piece from Hunter Biden, think you can pop by the White House at a state dinner of some sort and say be Hunter's guest and say hi to the president. Tell me the truth, Chuck. Have you bought a Hunter Biden original? I have not bought a (laughs) Hunter Biden original. That would be hysterical. Oh, man. You'd have to put it up right there in Digital Wildcatters headquarters. Yeah, exactly. Right next to the Kenny Lay roll call sign. Yeah, there we go. We've got a uh, an original, but now I mean, that that's unbelievable, and it's not it's not an issue to anyone. People are like, oh, you're just making fun of his son. Well, it's no an one? issue. It's an issue to a ton of people, to normies, like I like to call them. Normies, normies, even normies have a problem with that arrangement. But the media keeps telling them it's not a problem. There's nothing to see here. Yeah. And that's going to decrease faith because, of course, there's a problem here. How do you not see a problem here? Yeah. No, it's just crazy. It's crazy that we, I mean, I mean, Tucker Carlson had on Hunter Biden's business partner that said, yes, I met with the vice president. I can't remember. He was a Polish guy. Yeah. What was his name? I can't remember his name either. But I mean, that is that's an accusation that at least. It should be investigated, yeah, right? You guys should look into that, maybe. No, yeah. we're just going to brush that. Oh, we're just going to shrug that off. Yeah. 
the response is always, well, you know about it, therefore it was reported. By one source? But yeah. The be- I mean, the the most effective line of attack on that subject is, what if that had happened to Donald Trump Jr.? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody knows what would have happened in that case. Oh, I know. Exactly. Yeah, it had been all over everywhere. Him or Eric or Barron. I mean, oh, man, Barron's a monster now. He's taller than you now. I know. I saw yeah. that. <laughs> Dude's like six seven. That's crazy. <laughs> Come on, there's got to be a gratuitous Colin short joke there. I can't write it though. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a sip of the wine. You can uh, you can make the Colin joke. Oh man, there's there's just something that I've got to say that's just Melania Trump, best dime to ever come into the White House, best first lady. I have to say it. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Absolutely no beautiful. Just poise everything. Everybody tried to just yell, oh, she's a porn star. Oh, she's nasty. No, just goddess level. Well, Melania and, Trump. And speaks what? Six languages? That's what I Twelve like. Twelve languages. Yeah, something like that. Just a like. fashion icon. I mean, she is the just scaldingest, hot, just most beautiful first lady that we've ever had. Well, and the thing I like is people are like, oh, she's just a model, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, how many languages do you speak? Exactly. I mean, yeah. Oh. So, nah, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Exactly. Rondo, you're freaking so cool to come in and do this. You're cool to have me. Ah, absolutely. The, uh, like, a, like I told you before, we normally edit them. I don't think I heard anything we'd edit. I don't know. We didn't say anything naughty. <laughs> we'll find out. That's what I always say. We'll, we'll put it out. We'll find out. I'm sure we heard. It sounded like I was taking a leak while I was pouring another glass of wine, but that's about it. Yeah, there we go. I always, always joke that um, when we do these podcasts, I've got my Gatorade bottle there, like, like the Amazon driver, just in case. We'll just we'll just uh, do that. Dude, but seriously, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. <laughs>